You're listening to WALT. Homegrown. Homemade radio. Hello, ghost family. Welcome to Family Ghosts. I thought it was over. I thought you were gone. As I walked through the dark house, wishing your lamp was still on, I lit a candle. It was a pretty red glow. I should have known that you were still close. Those are the opening lyrics to one of my favorite songs by one of my favorite bands, Still Close by the Wood Brothers. When I was working with composer Luis Guerra on the theme song for Family Ghosts, that theme song you just heard, Still Close is the song I sent him as a reference point. And that's because Family Ghosts is a show that grew out of a feeling I've had my whole life, a feeling of being haunted. Not by translucent wraiths that clank chains in the night, but by people and stories from my family's past. I've always had this sense that I'm living in the shadows cast by those people and those stories, that these ghosts, as I like to think of them, are still close. And it turns out that that feeling is actually one of the foundational ideas of an entire religious movement. It's called spiritualism. Spiritualists believe that when we die, we cross over from this world into a spirit realm, which some spiritualists simply refer to as spirit. According to this tradition, once the dead arrive in spirit, they can still communicate with us. And they do this through mediums. People in this world who are able to access spirit, receive messages from the people there, and then transmit those messages back to us. I'm hearing crush, crush. I'm having somebody. Uh, I am, I am in a car accident. Um, who is in a car accident? Who, who did you lose through uh, impound? Um, I slid. I hit the tree. I think it's a tree or a pole or something. Who is that? My daughter. She's wiping your tears, okay? And she's asking you, please, don't cry anymore. I am happy. I'm not hurting. I was not hurting, okay? That's a clip of a spiritualist medium delivering a message from the spirit realm to a woman in this world who lost her daughter. It was recorded for a film called No One Dies in Lilydale, a 2010 documentary about the town of Lilydale, New York, which is one of the most active spiritualist communities in the world. Every summer, thousands of people descend on the town to get readings like the one in that clip from the many mediums that live in Lilydale. The documentary is how I first learned about spiritualism. And when I watched it, I felt this odd sense of relief. Like, this intuitive hunch that I have about ghosts from the past with unfinished business, that's not something I'm alone in feeling. There's an entire belief system built around that idea. Now, this isn't the episode of Family Ghosts where I come out as a spiritualist. But I do believe that storytelling and journalism can function as a kind of mediumship 
a way of keeping the past alive. And even if I don't necessarily believe in literal ghosts, or the idea that there are people who can talk to them, I am open to the possibility that there are other ways of connecting with the past than the ones that I'm familiar with. Like I said, Family Ghosts is a show that arose from a feeling, and I wanted to know what other ways of connecting to the past might feel like. So, I decided to find out. I'm sitting in a chair, my feet flat on the ground, my hands, palms up, and then I take a deep in-breath, and at the top of that breath, I enter into the spirit world with my mind. From WALTFM, you're listening to Family Ghosts. I'm Sam Dingman. This week, seances, sense memory, and sourdough. All that and more, right after the break. When filmmaker Stephen Cantor arrived in Lilydale to make a documentary about the town, he didn't believe in the idea that mediums can talk to ghosts. I was dead set against it being real, uh-huh. going in. Uh-huh. And then watching the readings, you know, I would feel like a lot of the stuff felt kind of generic. Like, oh, there's a old woman who's coming through and she's got gray hair and you used to love the smell of her kitchen. She used to bake for you and everyone would be like, oh, that was my grandmother. <laughs> right, right. How did you know? Yeah. There's a lot of that, and then every once in a while, I would hear something specific, like someone would say, you know, he's coming through and he's showing you a collection of coins, I think it's nickels, and he wants you to know that he left them for you, they're in the attic, and the person would be like, oh my God, there's a collection of nickels in my attic, I cannot believe it. Like, yeah. there'd be some yeah. crazy specific things like that that really made me wonder what, you know, what exactly is going on there. Yeah. And it's actually something that I've never fully rectified that in my mind. Cantor's film follows a handful of people who come to Lilydale looking for answers. One of them, a guy named Ronald, is overwhelmed with grief brought on by the tragic death of his son. It was May 10th, 07. Uh, my son, Blair, he left school after his last class, traveling on a public bus in Chicago, Illinois, and this gang member discovered that it was a rival gang member on the bus that he was looking to shoot. And uh, actually, Blair shielded a young lady, a classmate and friend, from uh, being fatally wounded. But the one bullet from a 40 caliber handgun did a lot of damage in his main organs. Um, so he, he, didn't su- he didn't survive. Like Cantor, Ronald is a little skeptical about spiritualism. As far as the spirit world, uh, I never bought into anything like that. But I think uh, here at Lilydale, maybe God allows for spirits to make a connection. But Ronald has been through something truly horrific, and he's hoping for a very specific kind of resolution that he hasn't been able to find anywhere else. I want to tell him I'm sorry that, that I wasn't there to protect him. I think that's the thing that gets me. That I just wasn't there to protect him, and I should have been. Another woman, Rebecca, is on a more open-ended quest. Her boyfriend was found dead in a field two years earlier, and the cause of his death has never been determined. 
she shows up in Lilydale with two friends to see if there's anything the mediums can reveal. There are no guarantees, of course, we know that coming here, but it's something that I can do to say, yes, I'm open to this, to actually get in your car and drive 11 hours, um, <laughs> you know, and invest the time away from the rest of your life. Um, it kind of allows me to focus more fully on the purpose. Um, and I, I know I can't guarantee what will happen, but um, it's my way of showing that I'm open to it. Ronald and Rebecca's weekend in Lilydale begins alongside several hundred other visitors. They gather around a tree stump in the town that the locals believe has powerful spiritual energy. One of the town mediums walks to the front of the crowd and begins speaking. Good afternoon. afternoon. I keep singing Mr. Rogers. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Could I speak to the lady in the blue blouse? Hi, Please. how are you? Okay. What's your name? Rebecca. Hello, Rebecca. I have a lady in spirit who's not talking about who she is. She says it's not important who she is, as much as that you understand that there are periods in your life where you are being wrapped with gentle arms. And she says, we're the people who come and wrap people in gentle arms. Do you understand that? She is talking about how you have been asking for information, or you've been asking why. And as you've been asking why, you're finding nothing but the most deafening silence. (laughs) She is coming to you and bringing you, for some reason, a bouquet of daisies. And she said... You have to remember, when you pull the petals out, the final petal will always be, he loves me. All right? So I leave that for you with God's blessings. Thank Thank you. you. Janice, thank you for allowing me to serve. Have a great day, everybody. See you later. When I watch this scene, I get a clear sense of what director Stephen Cantor was talking about earlier. Marty, the medium in that clip, has no idea who Rebecca is. She picks her at random from the crowd. And while the initial images she gives Rebecca are sort of general, loving arms and a search for answers, by the end, Marty's reading is spot on. When she tells Rebecca, who never got to say goodbye to her boyfriend, that the message of that final flower petal is, he loves me, Rebecca starts sobbing uncontrollably. After the gathering at the stump, the crowd disperses into the town, where the various mediums are waiting outside their houses, many of them sitting cross-legged next to their flower beds, petting cats, with sandwich boards, listing the prices for readings. As I was watching the film, I have to admit this setup struck me as a little bit crass. The stump reading seemed like this kind of free sample they give out to entice you to buy the more expensive version. And that, combined with the fact that you have to pay a gate fee to even get into Lilydale, made the whole thing seem sort of like a theme park. Stephen Cantor, the director, agreed. Sort of like Disneyland for the soul or something. Yeah. <laughs> People go there, wind up a good time, they have lunch, they go to these seances and go right. to the stump and hear readings and other people have readings. And yeah. Group readings. Yeah. Yeah. 
come back the next day. Mm-hmm. And then there's the fact that the mediums charge hefty prices for readings that sometimes completely miss the mark. One medium tries to convince Rebecca to forgive herself for having a miscarriage, which she's never had. After the reading, Rebecca complains about it to her friends. He didn't tell me anything I recognized. Really? No. He insisted we had a kid. What? He's like, no one picture of a child who passed early and conceptual. And I don't want to argue with him, so I'm just going along with it. But I'm like, no. Really? <sighs> I felt like it was the medium talking about like the medium's perceptions, the medium's, you know, oh, and I'm like, so, okay. no, I don't want you. Like you, are, yeah. <laughs> like if these are two different languages, I want you to be the translator. Right. I think you should have another reading. I while think you're you here. should too. I really do. But director Stephen Cantor says it's too simple to dismiss Lily Dale as a con. You know, people for the most part are dealing with a lot of pain and trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, death sneaks up on you in yeah. very unexpected ways, almost everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And you have unresolved things you wish you'd discussed or things you're not sure about or unclear about or the will didn't go the way you thought it was going to or whatever. There's yeah. everyone's, everyone's dealing with that. And then this is a place to potentially get some closure or some answers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And people do. People do. And it's true. As the film goes on, it's clear that people like Ronald really get something from their sessions. In the last reading that we see Ronald have, one of the mediums finally offers him some relief from the guilt that he's been carrying. And he tells me that he wants to tell his mother to release any feeling that she has about blaming herself for anything. And he's saying this to both of you, okay? Oh, I hope you know how much he loves you and how much he appreciated you always being there for him. That meant so much to him. And we try. And now he wants to give you a gift. And so he's going to be communicating with you so beautifully. So I want to encourage you, Ronald, to to have times of meditation and prayer where you can walk between the two worlds and be with him as he's with you. Whether or not you believe that the medium actually received this message from Ronald's son, it's clear that the message resonates with Ronald. For the first time, I had a chance to actually be alone with my own spirit, you know, with my own conscience. And you know that tragedies won't, uh, they'll come and go and um, things good and bad, you know, they won't last forever. The sun will rise the next day and this too shall pass. Reflecting on the documentary now, it strikes me that for people who are wrestling with the trauma of these massive tragedies, What the mediums of Lilydale are offering is something that's hard to find. Someone to sit with you in your pain and say, I see you. I see how badly you're hurting. And it's not going to feel like this forever. 
And when I think about the idea that Lilydale is a kind of theme park, I wonder if that's really all that bad. After all, we go to theme parks to ride roller coasters. And sure, part of the thrill of a roller coaster is the fear that at any moment it might go flying off its track. But I wonder if we also like reminding ourselves that no matter how wild the ride gets, it's not going to. As moving as Ronald's journey was, the lingering curiosity I felt after watching No One Dies in Lilydale was less about what it would be like to get a reading from a medium and more about what it feels like to be one. Because a lot of times on this show, that's kind of what I feel like. Someone whose job is to help people translate mysterious messages from the past. And the truth is, when people ask me how I approach that work, the answer is that I don't really know. It feels different every time, and I'm usually just following my instincts and hoping that they lead us somewhere meaningful. I am constantly worried that I'm going to disappoint the person I'm working with. And I found myself wondering if being a spiritual medium is anything like being a narrative one. Last summer, I was hoping to make a trip to Lilydale. The pandemic made that impossible. But one night, I was telling a friend that I was curious about the place. And she said she knew someone who lived in Lilydale and was training to become a medium. So she put me in touch. And before long, I found myself on the phone with Tiffany Hopkins. It was just a few weeks into the first round of stay-at-home orders, right around the time people on social media were swapping pictures of their sourdough starters. I basically turned my life into quarantine life like five years ago and baking sourdough is something that I've done the whole time to survive for sure so I would not surprise one bit that people are like this is really helpful (laughs) (laughs) I've been on this train for a minute (laughs) Tiffany lives in a house in Lilydale that's been in her family for generations she moved there a few years ago after she got tired of her fast-paced life in the marketing and finance industry she didn't like the pressure she felt to project an outward image of success that didn't have anything to do with the person she felt like on the inside. I'm trying to get closer and closer to what feels really beautiful and me in in everything I do. And that it's taken years and it's never going to end probably, but it, it's kind of led me to spirituality and a lot of baking and cooking, you know, it's mm-hmm. a lot of time in nature. And just as those feelings were coming to a head, Tiffany found out that she had inherited a small cottage in the small town of Lilydale, New York. It's two stories, and it was originally the actual definition of a cottage. So no bathroom, no kitchen. It was just two rooms, basically one for seances and one for eating. At that point, Tiffany didn't consider herself to be a spiritualist. But she knew that Lilydale wasn't an ordinary place. She had a very specific memory from a childhood visit to the town. We stayed in the hotel, and I had won these little um, Muppets dolls at a raffle. Uh And I'd set them along the mantle in the hotel, and in the night they all had been taken off. And that was sort of my first uh, experience with ghosts in my mind. And... I never really knew what happened, but I understood what this place was about and that this kind of thing would probably happen here. When Tiffany arrived in town as an adult and moved into the cottage, 
she got to know some spiritualists in the community. And they told her that her house was full of spiritual energy. They come in and they're like, whoa, there's a lot going on in here. At first, the presence of so many spirits in the house was unnerving for Tiffany. She wasn't sure what to expect. But as she talked more with the town's mediums, she learned some tricks for avoiding incidents like she'd experienced as a child with those Muppet dolls. If you don't want weird stuff happening, you tell them what they call physical phenomena. Um, you tell them not to do that. So I came home and was like, nobody's allowed to do physical phenomena in this house. Tiffany says the strategy worked. No weird stuff happened in her house. And the more she learned about spiritualism, the more it lined up with that intuitive way of living that she had been craving for years. I had developed a lot of reverence for my ancestors. Um, I had an altar, and I had spent hundreds of hours doing my family tree back nine generations on one side. One night, Tiffany was walking through town, and she saw a sign announcing a mediumship circle. She didn't really know what that meant, but she decided to find out. I showed up that first night, had never done any mediumship. Um, and within a half an hour, probably, the teacher had everybody doing readings. And I just couldn't believe that somebody was going to just tell me, you're going to go ahead and just, you know, talk with the dead right now. Go mm-hmm. for it. Tiffany says at first, the guy she was giving a reading to had no idea what she was talking about. But she kept showing up for the mediumship circles for the next three months. And eventually, she found herself starting to make more meaningful connections with spirit. People started to respond to her readings. She says it was mostly a process of listening to her body and trusting her intuition, the same forces that had brought her to Lilydale in the first place. There are moments when information comes to you and, you know, you don't know exactly where it comes from. And when you sit and very intentionally try to access information from a very specific source, whether that's the spirit realm or the earth or whatever you're doing, you learn what your body and your mind are doing and then you do it again. Once she feels that instinct, that a person or a message wants to come through, Tiffany says the challenge is getting herself out of the way so that she, Tiffany, isn't interfering with the transmission. Part of that process is physical. I'm sitting in a chair, my feet flat on the ground, my hands, palms up, and then I take a deep in-breath, and at the top of that breath, I enter into the spirit world with my mind. That last breath is important. One of Tiffany's teachers told her that people usually die at the top of an in-breath. And I don't have any scientific proof of that. I don't know where they came up with it. Um, but I took it and I love it because this is like the that top of the in-breath that you know gives you actually a place to, to jump off from. I don't know if it's true either, but I love that image that on that inhale, Tiffany is connecting to the last breath we draw in this world and springing into the next one. Speaking of images, I was really curious to know what the spirit realm looks like. But Tiffany says the answer is nothing. It's not a physical place with spirits wandering around. 
She describes it as more of an awareness. I've never seen a ghost, for example. I don't see, there's nothing there when I go. I literally put my consciousness into a place, but there's nothing there. Like I can feel my heart rate goes up a little bit. I sweat more. Um, I start talking faster often. What it feels like is I'm able to kind of look through another person's eyes. It feels very much like thinking, but from another person's perspective. Thinking, but from another person's perspective. What Tiffany's describing sounds to me like a practice of devout compassion. Maybe that's part of why people like Ronald get so much from their readings, whether or not they believe the medium is actually talking to the dead. Whatever's really going on, a good medium is channeling something almost anyone can connect to. Empathy. Maybe the key to the whole thing isn't whether or not the customer believes the reading is real. Maybe it's whether or not the medium does. What I love about it is it's sort of like, as long as you believe you can talk with the dead, you're good to go. (laughs) I had one last question for Tiffany, which was if she'd be willing to give me a reading. And it turns out that for students of spiritualism like Tiffany, giving free readings is a critical part of the training. So she said yes. And it was unlike anything I have ever experienced. She connected right away with a grandfatherly figure. She identified him as being a fisherman. That was very eerie because Grandpa was a fisherman. Family Ghosts will continue in a moment. Ghost family, if you like what you hear on the podcast, I hope you'll take a moment to consider becoming a member of the Kindred Spirits, our community of supporters on Patreon. I know it might seem strange for me to ask for your financial support when you hear ads during the breaks of our show. But the truth is, while I am grateful for those sponsorships, they don't come close to covering the costs of doing this work at the level you expect. And that's where the Kindred Spirits come in. For just $5 a month, they get the satisfaction of knowing that they're keeping the mics hot here at WALT. Plus, they get cool bonus episodes every month, featuring exclusive content you won't hear anywhere else. This month, they're getting to hear my full unedited interview with Stephen Cantor, the director of the film No One Dies in Lilydale. Kindred Spirits also get ad-free versions of all of our episodes. If you're already a Kindred Spirit, thank you so very much for your support. And if you're not, and you have the means, please consider joining them today at patreon.com slash familyghosts. Now, obviously, Tiffany was not conducting my reading under normal circumstances. For one thing, we weren't in the same room. She was in her cottage in Lilydale, and I was in a small guest house in the Hudson Valley that my girlfriend and I were staying in during the quarantine. And on top of that, the guest house had terrible cell phone reception. The only way I could get a consistent signal was to sit in the driver's seat of my car in the driveway. So that's where I was during the reading. I also want to say that I didn't record the reading as it was happening. 
And that was on purpose. As much as I wanted to have a record of it, I knew that I wouldn't really be focused on what was happening if I was constantly thinking about whether or not we were getting a good quality recording. So instead, as soon as the reading was over, I turned on the voice memo app on my phone, and I tried to talk through everything exactly as it happened. I just want to talk for a minute or two about the reading that I just had with Tiffany. She started the reading by having me sit as much as possible in a meditative position. So sitting in the car, but uh, in the driver's seat, but I tried to sit with my back straight and my feet on the ground and my palms on my knees and just take deep breaths. She recommended that I focus on the breath and focus on my heartbeat. And so I did that. As I was doing it, I felt strong emotion come up in me. I felt a realization that I don't pause to take time like that on any sort of regular basis other than when I'm trying to go to sleep. And that's even then I'm doing that with the goal of going to sleep. And there was no particular goal in this five minute ish period other than to focus on breath and focus on heartbeat and the thoughts that were coming up as I did that. The thoughts that did come up were, I noticed that I was thinking about the anxiety that recurs for me about... Okay, so this part is actually a little more personal than I'm comfortable sharing, but let's just say that I spent a few minutes here going into great detail on some relationship anxieties that I was having at the time. Um, And then at the conclusion of that breathing period, Tiffany then started the part of the process where she, in her words, connects with spirit. And she said that she connected right away with a grandfatherly figure who had a very traditional grandfather sort of presentation and energy to him. And that it was a persona that was at once gruff and a little distant, but also had a twinkle in his eye, I believe is a word that she used. That made me think very much that she was thinking of Grandpa, my dad's dad, who is somebody who I always felt very loved by and cared for, even though he never really expressed that sort of thing verbally or directly. Now, this is the part where it gets wild. Because as Tiffany was describing this grandfatherly presence, I thought to myself, okay, sure, maybe she's established this connection with my grandfather on my dad's side. But I didn't verbally confirm that with her. I just thought it privately to myself as Tiffany kept talking. She talked about how this person had a sense of humor. And she identified him as being a fisherman. That was very eerie, because Grandpa was a fisherman. Once she said the fisherman thing, the whole experience became much more intense. It was a moment like the nickels in Stephen Cantor's example, or the flower petal in Rebecca's reading at the stump in the documentary. How could Tiffany have possibly known that my grandfather was a fisherman? Naturally, once she said that, I was much more inclined to trust everything that followed apparently the message that he was looking to send to me was that 
he feels like he always had an ability to see more than most people see, to understand more than most people understand, a, a broader scope of vision, an ability to perceive what's happening that other people don't always necessarily notice and that he saw those things and felt those things and that while he never felt like it was his place to bring those things into some sort of more concrete form he knows that that's something that I can do and do in my life and it also made me think about the time grandpa winked at me towards the end of his life when he was dealing with very severe dementia and couldn't communicate with anybody around him. This is one of my most beautiful and heartbreaking memories about my grandfather. In all the years that I knew him, as I referenced in this recording, he didn't necessarily talk very much, but he would often look at me and wink, like he was saying, don't worry, kiddo, I see you. And just a few weeks before he passed away, my dad and I were up in Ithaca visiting him and my grandmother. And Grandpa was very sick. He had advanced dementia. He didn't know who my dad or my grandmother were most of the time. And there was this one afternoon where we took him to the doctor's office, and he was stumbling and shouting and resisting being lifted up onto the examining table. My dad and the doctor were struggling to help him. And when they finally got him up on the table, he suddenly relaxed and became very serene. And he looked at me right over my dad's shoulder and winked. And so I asked Tiffany if there was any indication of what that wink meant. And she said it, it had to do with his recognition of this capacity in me to, to see, see more and notice more and bring things into the light. This was a powerful moment for me. Tiffany was basically describing the mission statement of this very podcast and suggesting that I inherited an inclination towards work like this from my grandfather. When she talked about this idea, I suddenly remembered this moment from a conversation I had with one of my uncles during the reporting process for the Family Ghost episode, None of Your Business, back in season one. My uncle was telling me that when he and my dad were kids, Grandpa was very involved in their church's community organization. And that in particular, Grandpa was always trying to be the person in the room who kept the good of the entire community in mind. My uncle said it was like Grandpa's eyes were always open a little bit wider, like he was always trying to see past the volatility of whatever issue was being debated in a particular moment. When other people got upset or defensive about something, he stayed quiet and listened. He let them express what they needed to express, and then he tried to figure out how to come up with a solution that was best for everyone, but made the people who disagreed with that solution feel like they'd been heard. To give them, if nothing else, a little wink. And then one day, his son, my Uncle Dick, killed himself in the woods. And according to the uncle who was telling me about all this, after that happened, Grandpa gave up on the church. They dropped out of the community group and eventually stopped going to services altogether. And when my uncle asked why, Grandpa said something like, I don't believe in that stuff anymore. 
Just like that, his uncannily wide eye closed. And in the moment of remembering that during my reading, I thought to myself that maybe what Grandpa was trying to communicate through Tiffany was the idea that his ability to see the world through wide eyes was something that receded after Dick's death, or maybe that it became an impulse he felt like he should resist. And that maybe that wink was him letting me know that he saw me picking up the work he didn't get to finish. That, in a way, Family Ghosts was Grandpa's prophecy for me. Now, I suppose I should also say that in the moment that I got this reading from Tiffany, my confidence was at a very low ebb. For reasons related to the pandemic and a few other things, the future of Family Ghosts was in doubt. And I was wondering if I'd ever get to make another episode of the show. And all that was making me wonder, did all that work I did really matter? I guess what I'm saying is that I was in a place where I needed to feel like my work meant something. And it's possible (laughs) that on some level, my mind was bending all these shards of memory into a shape that made me feel like it did. So maybe there's a rational explanation. But there was another part of Tiffany's reading that I definitely can't explain. The other thing is that I got a very strong sense of Grandpa's smell while she was talking to me. I smelled the way that his... I just remember him wearing these sweaters and these tweed pants and that there was a a warm kind of musky very masculine smell that he had that was very comforting. And I could smell that while she was telling me about it. It was a very remarkable experience. Like I said at the beginning, this isn't the episode where I come out as a spiritualist. But in a year when so many things defied explanation, there were a lot of moments when it felt like all I had to rely on was my intuition. When it starts to feel like the car really is about to fly off the roller coaster rails, what exactly are we supposed to hold on to? I like the way Tiffany put it. I just had become very interested in making decisions based on what felt mostly like me. And I think what I learned from Tiffany is that making decisions that way feels safer when you've had some practice, if not literally talking to the past, at least trying to tune into it. I guess I sort of am understanding the benefit of passing down stories and and remembering where we came from in a much more active way, that it really does leave an impact on how you make decisions and how you kind of walk in the world. I feel like there's a certain level of people looking out for me that I can trust myself and what I'm doing. I can trust the things that come into my life, that they are safe and good for me. And it just has given me a level of confidence that things are going to be okay. I'm having trouble coming up with the right word to capture the magnitude of what Tiffany just said. 
But whatever it is, medium doesn't even come close. Family Ghosts is hosted, produced, written, edited, and mixed by me, Sam Dingman. Check the show notes for this episode for links to more work by Tiffany Hopkins and Stephen Cantor, as well as a link where you can watch Stephen's documentary, No One Dies in Lilydale. Special thanks this week to Adrian Bain. Our show art is by Teddy Blanks, and our theme song is by Luis Guerra. Incidental music is from Blue Dot Sessions. This episode also featured original music by Ben Levin and Evan Viola. And the music you're hearing behind the credits right now is Still Close by The Wood Brothers. It's from their album Loaded. You should listen to it. Whether or not you believe in mediums, I think you'll agree that that album is pure magic. If you're looking for something to listen to in the off weeks between episodes of Family Ghosts, and you like the HBO dramedy, Six Feet Under, check out Fisher Family Ghosts, our first-ever Family Ghosts spin-off. Each week, my girlfriend Adrian and I watch an episode of Six Feet Under and talk about the ways the characters, themes, and narrative affect our perspective on storytelling and our own families. Find Fisher Family Ghosts wherever you're listening to this. If you have the means, please consider becoming a member of the Kindred Spirits at patreon.com slash familyghosts. If you don't, no worries. Please consider supporting the show by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts. It takes less than 30 seconds, and it makes a huge difference in terms of helping new listeners find our show. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new story. Thank you for listening, Ghost Family. I'll talk to you then. I saw a was a wild red